Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I'm passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. Ah, these are some of my all-time favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, I am happy to introduce you to our newest faculty member at IBC. Dr. Carlos Santos is the professor of ancient studies. He specializes in Second Temple literature with a focus on the book of Enoch. Now, if you've been around IBC much, you have definitely heard us mention Enoch. But do you know what content is in the book or how it can have an impact on how we read and understand other biblical books like Daniel? Well, today, Dr. Santos will take us on a tour of these subjects. But first, let's find out more about Dr. Santos' context growing up and what drew him into studying Second Temple literature. Lean in and enjoy the conversation. Uh, thank you very much, Cindy. Uh, well, I was born in a small town in Spain, in Cáceres, in the west, very close to Portugal, and we come from a Catholic background. And although today I don't think I can consider myself as a fervent Catholic, although I admit since I was a little boy, I said that uh, I want, I even said I wanted to become a priest. So, you really? Know. <laughs> yes, you knew yes. from the time you were little? Yes, yes. I was somehow connected to the biblical studies and the biblical uh, world. So since I was a little kid, uh, I was thinking about uh, all this. My, my grandmother, she read me tons of stories of the, the Bible, and I, I loved them. I, I grew up with them. Uh, but one way or another, well, that path of being becoming a priest uh, was ultimately not followed. But as uh, insane, uh, since I was uh, young, I've been connected with biblical stories, the traditions, the characters. Um, uh, well, this has been always present uh, in me. So I think it was perfectly normal that when I decided to study at a university, uh, the cultures of ancient Near East, the world of the Bible. So I finally decided, decided to study Aramaic, Hebrew, and even Arabic at the University of Salamanca uh, here in Spain. Um, well, since I started studying uh, Biblical Hebrew, I can almost say that it was love at first sight or first reading, you could say. <laughs> yes, uh, I, I, I enjoyed it so so much, uh, and I keep enjoying it when reading, when teaching, when transmitting of the, all this material, this knowledge. Uh, I, I love my work. Did you, or at what point did you start to learn the Jewish context or the Israelite context of scripture? Was that always present in your studies of the Bible or did you kind of pull that in a little bit later? Yeah, this, this was a little bit later when I started at college. In the, the beginning, when I was younger, I just read about the, the Bible stories or some uh, books that had been written about by some teachers or specialists. But the language was uh, something that I never learned until going to college. Knowing the, the context is, uh, is the key to understand the text uh, and, and the message, the, the translations. Uh, I don't know if in English, but in Spanish, many transla translations of, of the Bible. 
they are um, not not some not these days because they have improved a lot. But uh, some ancient translations they they could be better. I would say <laughs> they could be quite better. And many of my students they still read some of these translations and they have many questions. They they don't know how to understand this. And I tell them, well, we have to know the. The, the language, we have to know the context, the literature, the archaeology as well, and it's all uh, a puzzle and we have to uh, combine the, the pieces in order to fully understand the Bible. If I'm correct, you have specialized in Second Temple literature in particular, and yes. I'd love to know what drew your attention to Second Temple literature. Well, my main area of study, and uh, once I st started my doctoral studies and then so on, was the study of the Second Temple literature and apocalyptic literature, especially. Uh, the books of Enoch and Daniel. Um, imagine that you are a, a young student in your 20s and you come across all these texts in doing some project at a university. Uh, that's mind-breaking. At least it was for me. Um, it was uh, something that made me reconsider many of the things uh, I knew about the scriptures. And for this reason, I decided to study these works and a large part amount of my research all over these years, uh, both in my doctorate and uh, my PhD and later, uh, has been to study the origins of these traditions, um, the, the angels, the, the demons, the connections with ancient religions of Persia, like Zoroastrism, the figure of Satan, uh, and also the the transition of or the evolution of Enoch, the patriarch Enoch, from the, the character we find in Genesis to the angel Metatron. It's a controversial figure in the Jewish tradition. And also that we could say that this is a certain reflection in a messianic figure as well. Um, uh, I, this is something we will debate and talk about in the upcoming seminar we have uh, this month. And so this is uh, most, uh, I, I could resume my, my studies these days, but um, uh, I think that this is something that I have to keep on uh, studying, dipping, because uh, although some things I, I have studied and researched earlier, I, I have uh, changed some of them these days. We talk about Enoch quite a bit in yes. our various courses and seminars at IBC, but I don't think I've ever done a podcast on Enoch. <laughs> Can you give us just a quick summary of maybe when it was written to you. I know that's a hard thing to really pin down, yes. but roughly when it was wit written, what kind of content is in it and why we should care about reading it? And it's a, a very important question about uh, why we should care about Enoch. And many students have uh, asked me that question because in classes, in some lessons, we talk about Enoch, we talk about Revelation. And, they, uh, and a couple of weeks ago, some student told me, uh, why are you always focusing so much on Enoch? Why is so <laughs> important this, this guy, this book? Uh, why? And uh, I told them that without Enoch, uh, we cannot um, fully read or fully understand the text like, text like Revelation, uh, because many of the, the images, the figures that uh, can be uh, traced to Revelation, they are also in Enoch. They are also in Daniel, but Enoch was a, a, a much uh, read work in Second Temple literature. In fact, we cannot say there's one book of Enoch 
there are several uh, books uh, attributed to this uh, patriarch. Uh, we have the the first book of Enoch, which in fact is the it's uh, uh, it's uh, a book which uh, has in its interior five books. There are five uh, works uh, on it, and uh, when it was uh, written, well. The ancient, the the most, the, the oldest parts of Enoch, they are from the um, the uh, the third century BC, and the oldest ones, uh, are, if I recall correctly, they are uh, two centuries later. So it's uh, uh, a lot of time. And the work uh, today, the the, uh, the book is only um, uh, conserved properly in Ethiopic. Uh, we have uh, we have it today in Aramaic as well, found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, but it's uh, incomplete. There are some scrolls about Enoch, the uh, Aramaic Enoch. Uh, and, but although the, the Ethiopic War, which is of course uh, uh, later from it, but when comparing with the Aramaic and even some Greek manuscripts of uh, Enoch, we can say that this is a, a proper Second Temple uh, text. Um, we can see how many communities of Jews of that time uh, thought about uh, figures like uh, Sim, the origin of Ebal, uh, the stories of the of Noah uh, and the flood, uh, also why Enoch was so revered in uh, on those days because it's mentioned in many other uh, texts, not not just in this one. We also have the second Enoch. This is uh, a, a work for from the end of the first century. Uh, just after the destruction of the Second Temple. Uh, it's a reworking of the first Enoch. Uh, it's smaller, but in that book, we can say that uh, Enoch is still much more revered than in the first one. In the first one, it scribes a holy man. He talks uh, with, with God, with the angels, with the watchers, the fallen angels. He's like some kind of messenger among all of these supernatural beings. But in Second Enoch, in the end, he's uh, in the text is he's described as someone who cannot be distinguished from the angels. It's not said that he's an angel uh, directly or explicitly, but um, we can read that he is uh, that God addresses him to someone who is uh, exactly like one of the other angels, and he sits among them. Um, in that book, we can say that we have a more exalted Enoch. And the third book of Enoch, uh, it's also called Sefer Echalot. Sefer Echalot, is, uh, uh, it's not an apocalyptic bo uh, book, in fact. It's a mysticism uh, text. It's like what we should uh, call Merkaba, Merkaba Echalot literature, which is the, the ancient, uh, ancient mysticism uh, of uh, Judaism. And in this text, we, we, we do not find Enoch, per se. We find Metatron. And Metatron is Enoch after he has become an angel. And not uh, any angel, not uh, even an archangel, he is even more. He is also presented as the, the lesser Adonai. So he's also describing uh, in a way that cannot be uh, distinguished now just from uh, any other angel, but also he's quite similar to, to God himself, to Adonai himself. So, uh, and this causes uh, many contra controversies uh, in that day. Um, but uh, this, this, this final book, this Sefer Echalot, this uh, third book of Enoch, or it's also called the Hebrew book of Enoch because it's the only uh, text uh, of Enoch that today is uh, written um, uh, in Hebrew. The other works, they, they were in Hebrew as well, in Aramaic, but they have uh, 
We have them today in Ethiopic, in Slavonic, but not in Hebrew or Aramaic. But uh, three, third Enoch or Sefer Halot, we have it in Hebrew to this day. Uh, in this text, it's it was written. It's not fully, um, uh, I would say, uh, not all the specialists agree on the date of uh, writing, but it's between the third century uh, and the seventh century. So we have uh, a great That's amount, a of amount of time. Big amount of time. Yes, a big <laughs> amount of time. There are forty-eight chapters and several recensions, uh, but it's a big amount of time. Uh, I cannot even agree with some of the the parts of the book. I would say, well, this uh, maybe this is uh, older than this other part because uh, the, the words itself they contradict and they clash with each uh, chapters with uh, with each other. It's interesting because in these books of Enoch, we get almost a retelling of stories that we see in the Hebrew Bible in yes. the early Genesis stories, but we are also looking at the development of ideas. So in this third century or second or first, <laughs> or, yeah, it's, uh, it's the so progression. Yes. But because there are additions, there's additional characters that are not mentioned in the book of Genesis. And so we see that the, the surrounding culture, the, this Jewish culture seems to be teasing out new information um, and is most of that information related to the spiritual world angels demons satan that kind of thing yeah i think so and i think that many of this information they have uh, come to us um, uh, in a way that we have heard about it but until uh, we read uh, this this text we don't know much about it so when we read Jubilees, when we read Enoch, uh, we can glimpse many of other characters or traditions that were common known in Second Temple Judaism and uh, for Jews uh, and Christians as well. Uh, these texts, we all know that most of them, they were considered apocrypha and they were not introduced in the, in the canons. But uh, in the days before we have a canon, they were read by uh, mo most people or at least big communities. Uh, so I think this is very important. And that's something I always want to address to the students. Why it's important to read these apocryphal, so the epigrapha works that uh, they are not considered to be sacred today. But, uh, well, in that day, they were considered sacred or they were considered in a way that we have we can open a window to that world and know something that the the, the bible the canonical works they do not tell us about uh, just a little bit right it is interesting because once you do read it you can hear echoes of that text in yes. other like in the epistles that we have in the the christian new testament there's echoes of Enoch in mm. some of these letters like Jude. And once you've read Enoch, you go, oh, like we're playing on an idea that everyone for the original audience probably had heard. We in the modern contemporary audience, we just haven't heard of it before. That's right. And uh, two days ago, I was teaching a lesson about precisely this. And one student told me, uh, but uh, Enoch is quoted in the epistles. Uh, and why? And why is that? And I said, well, because in that day, Enoch was read and it, it was known. But for us, it's not read. It's not known. We have to go to the to studies, the, tra the, tra the translation of this text in order to, to know about Enoch. But in that day, it was common known. 
It's one of the things I love about being part of the faculty of IBC. We all bring our specialties to the table and it gives us this great chance to talk about maybe other little bits and pieces, other lenses, other literature or the land that we don't always have the eyes to see those details in the Bible. So it just makes the Bible infinitely fascinating Indeed. to be reading we, and studying. We take all the pieces uh, among uh, exactly. all of us, the, the, the members of the faculty. Uh, we provide all of this to the students in order so they can understand the, the Bible in a, in a broader way, uh, to reread the Bible in order to fully understand it, or at least we are always trying to do that. Now that we have a little introduction to the Book of Enoch, yes. Let's move to the book of Daniel, because I imagine people listening to the podcast are more familiar with the book of Daniel. But now that we have this little introduction to Enoch, how does that help us read something like Daniel in a, a better way or a closer way to the original audience? Okay. Well, we all know that Daniel has two, two parts, two different parts. The first one uh, tells us the story of Daniel. He's a young man from the Jewish nobility and he's taken captive to Babylon. And there he's educated by other young Jews at the court. Those are the stories we love to yes, tell, right? We, we, those, yes. Those show but, up in children's Bibles yes, and in, in, we tell the, those the and we totally the, skip the second half. Yes. In, in the court with the king and yeah. the conspiracies with the other officers. Yes. Yeah, that's the, the second part. It's the the striking one, the the hard one. The how we can understand that part. The the other chapters of Daniel. Uh, in that part, we know uh, he receives four visions uh, of events after the time he he lives, and he puts them into writing. And for centuries, no one doubted the veracity of these accounts. Uh, the only exception was a Roman philosopher. Uh, he was named Porphyrius from the sec- uh, the third century. Uh, of our time, uh, who denied that the book had been written by, by Daniel. Uh, his opinion sparked so many criticism that Porphyrius' work uh, were sentences and he was banished to, to, for, to oblivion. Uh, and after him for centuries, no one dared to suspect the historicity of Daniel. But today, and most specialists consider that the writing of the book of Daniel, at least the, the final writing and these uh, hard chapters, would have taken place many years later, uh, around uh, 2nd century BC, shortly before the death of Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And the author of Daniel uh, would have lived in in that day, and he wanted to encourage his fellow Jews who were suffering under the persecution of Antiochus IV. And for this, he decided to write an apocalyptic work, an apocalyptic text. Uh, And these uh, authors, the, the ones that decided to use the apocalyptic genre, they used to turn to famous ancient figures to to attribute the revelations such as Abraham and Moses, Isaiah. So he chose an ancient figure, which was uh, Daniel. Daniel is uh, already quoted by the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 14 and 28, if I recall correctly. And he's described as a famous uh, character for his wisdom and ability. So maybe that made him the ideal character for the book. And um, well, we know that uh, story of Daniel in the court of Babylon, but in this way, in these final chapters, we can say that the author is telling uh, the Jewish brothers of that time that the crisis they are uh, experiencing, that they are living, had been had already been revealed to Daniel several centuries before, and therefore everything is under the divine control with a happy ending. 
and the text uh, we have, we all know that the apocalyptic literature is uh, full of um, dark images, uh, cryptic uh, figures that we cannot fully understand it correctly. And this was something that, of course, what uh, was um, intentional for the, the writers, for the authors. And why was that? Well, we could say that uh, symbols like the cosmos, the moon, the earthquake, the human body, uh, the world of animals like the dragon, the, the snake, the hybrid monsters, yeah, and all the, of that. All that, the weird yeah. stuff, right? <laughs> all, the, all the weird stuff that we love yeah. that when we're reading. I, I, I'm sure that all of this provides uh, excellent material to fantasy write, writers all over the head. Sorry. Yeah, that's um, right. Yes. Uh, but I think that this way, doing all this weird stuff, the, the message remained en encrypted and was only understood by the the group of readers that was uh, uh, decided to read this book uh, in case that the text fall in, in wrong hands, in hands of the authorities. Because they are not serene books. Daniel and other apocalyptic books, they are com combative, passionate books. They are vehement. And we have these excessive stories, and apparently without order or striking. And it's typical of authors that they are living in chaotic, chaotic times. Okay, so uh, in the context of this book, or at least the second half or the compilation of the book of Daniel being written around the time when there's great conflict between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies and Jerusalem and the Jews who are in Judea are being greatly influenced by this international drama that is That's going right. on. In the midst of all of that, with Enoch in the background, there is the mention of the Son of Man. Do you have an opinion on what Daniel means and what that vision is and maybe how it relates to Metatron? <laughs> wow, that's a, a hard one. <laughs> but, uh, what, the, we'll just do a man? teaser yes. because, yes, because yes. we have a seminar coming up, the IBC seminar uh, about this, where more details will be shared. Yes, and I love to talk about uh, all the, the Son of Man and Enoch, so I, I could be talking about this for hours. Uh, I think that the Son of Man in Daniel, the, the kind of figure we find in that book, is the, the first book, at least uh, uh, we know, that uh, this um, enigmatic uh, figure is presented. Uh, if I recall correctly, the, the, the expression Son of Man uh, earlier to Daniel, it was just meant to, to say a man, a, a person, a people, a person. Yeah, that's right. And that, that was all. But uh, in in these apocalyptic uh, writings, the expression Son of Man, it's used to describe someone who is not God, but it's uh, between being God and the creation. This idea of God being far from its creation, like uh, God is so powerful, so spiritual, that he cannot um, fully interact with uh, the creation, that it's uh, something material that can be corrupted, and there should be an, an agent, something in between. And in Daniel, we find the Son of Man, that's something that it's presented in a way that it's quite similar to God himself, uh, although it's not uh, called God, of course. And this, of course, could clash with the idea of being one God, the idea of a, mono a monotheistic uh, tradition. But we have that, and uh, we have that in Daniel. Of course, we know that in Christianity, there's no problem with that because uh, we have considered that uh, the, the figure of Jesus being the Son of Man, a messianic figure. But in Second Temple Judaism, we have this uh, anonymous uh, Son of Man. In First Enoch, 
it's not it's also uh, quoted many times but it's not um giving a proper name besides song of man also we have it in the uh, fourth fourth baruch uh, uh not fourth ezra uh, sorry uh, we have it in fourth ezra and it's always the song of man the song of man but the noki tradition the noki lore they um, then it uh, it considered that the song of man was enoch himself or at least enoch when uh, he became metatron and some communities uh, we don't know exactly if they were big enough or they are uh, they were smaller but the um, communities that uh, the rabbinic authorities they they thought they were problematic because considering there was uh, another um, because some of them even considered that was the wisdom of man was a, a, another divinity, another god, a lesser god. And this was something controversial. So the idea of Song of Man in rabbinic Judaism to that day, uh, until today, it was, uh, it's present in the Talmud, it's present in rabbinic literature, but it's it's far, it's there, but we do not want to, to go deeper into that. It's written, okay, and we we, we there were these people that they thought that maybe this, this Son of Man was something more or was something like uh, God in, uh, himself, but we do not want to go uh, to that uh, again. Uh, it's controversial. And also considering Metatron as uh, a lesser God, a lesser Adonai, uh, we have many, many, many texts, uh, not just the Noki lore, uh, and in the, the consideration of Enoch being or Enoch or Metatron uh, becoming this uh, Son of Man was something that uh, we have found in uh, Arabic texts, uh, Christian and Greek texts. Uh, about there were debates in the late antiquity and the first Middle Ages about all of this. The, there's a, um, a great work about uh, Enoch in antiquity and medieval ages that compares all these uh, manuscripts and how it was um, perceived by, by, many, by many communities. But, uh, you know, uh, in late antiquity and to that, all over those centuries, Enoch, Metatron, they were considered the idea of Son of Man by, by, many, by many groups. And it was, this was something that caused so much trouble. It's so interesting because even for us, it can be a little confusing and maybe controversial. Who's yes. quoting whom and what do they mean by mm -hmm. that? It's interesting to hear you say that even at the original time of the writing, it was controversial and people yes. were not in agreement as to what it meant and what the significance was. See, these are the things PhD dissertations are written on. Yes, this is my, my PhD dissertation on, and also all the the plethora, the all the names of angels, demons. There, where all these names come from? Uh, why some uh, some of these names they are taken from Zoroastrianism, uh, Assyrian Mesopotamian tradition as, as well? Um, why there are uh, mentioned several satans, not just one satan in uh, in First Enoch? What what is the meaning of Satan and how he uh, uh, he changed or how he was perceived differently in the book of Job, for example, and the apocalyptic writings or in the New Testament, uh, how he was like, the, we should say, the, this prosecutor of God uh, that appeared in, in Job, and then we find it as a, like this fallen angel or this demonic figure uh, centuries later, how uh, this, this was perceived and changed uh, it, in Second Temple Judaism. Mm -hmm. Right.
So fascinating. Okay. So please tell me that you're developing a course for IBC. Of course, I am developing a course. Uh, I am uh, in these weeks as we are speaking, I'm working on a course for IBC. It's focused on, on jobs, precisely. Um, I decided to focus on job because from a very young age also, when I was reading all these stories about the Bible and I, I read about job, uh, it always left me confused and intrigued. And questions like, who is this man who suffers so much? And why does God allow him to suffer? And why should he go through all these hardships? And why does Satan speak to God at the beginning of the text? And, and he's, he's presented like one uh, of his angels. Um, in this text, I think it's, I, 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 you can see that I always focus on controversial texts. I think that the, they are a text that we can uh, provide a, a lot of information. We have to dig, uh, we, can, we can dip a lot uh, in them. We can make them dialogue with uh, other texts. Uh, and of course, they are controversial. Many people, even us, they do not know about uh, a, a lot about them. So we have to study them more. Uh, I think that Job is uh, one of these uh, texts. Um, I think that uh, the, the, the study of, of Job, it's necessary to, to know uh, its origins, its uh, reception in the context of ancient East. Uh, many academic scholars today consider that Job was also um, maybe a Canaanite or an Edomite character that was then trans yes. translated. Translated into the the boy talk about context. another controversy, right? Yes, yes. The symbolic and literary cha yep. charge in all these religious contexts, um, the dialogues uh, between Job, his wife, uh, his friends, his enemies. Uh, uh, which is the genre of the book? It's a wisdom literature. It's a tragedy. It's poetry. So um, even we cannot fully uh, categorize the book in one genre. So this also has recent many interpretations, both in Judaism, Christianity, the, the, for example, the Hebrew version of Job, it's quite different than the Greek one from the Septuagint. So this has, this has, this has always led us to, to different interpretations and consideration of the character, the, the idea of uh, the same Job, the, this man just and patient. It's not so... Uh, uh, it's not the same if we consider it in, in the Hebrew tradition, in the Tanakh, or in the translations from Christianity. Uh, I think that the, the job we can find in the Tanakh, it's uh, a, a fighting one who even discusses and, and fights with God. He's not, uh, he does not agree with him, with all the suffering he's, uh, he's having. And uh, the job we can find in the Greek, Latin traditions, um, and then in the translation to, to Spanish or other languages, this is uh, a softer job. <laughs> I think that really? is yes, yes. Uh, the, the translation, the translation. Sorry, they they change a lot in this text. Huh. Which again is one of those. What was going on in the minds of those who are translating? Were they thinking you can't fight with God? You shouldn't yes. fight with God. I, I think so therefore they make him a softer figure. I think they make him a, a softer figure. Uh, uh, he cannot talk to God like the way he does in Hebrew. So the, the words uh, Job uses in, in Greek, in the Septuagint, they are softer. Uh, we also discovered in Qumran, the Dead Sea Scrolls, an apocrypha of uh, Job, a Targum of Job. And this is something we will discuss also in the, in the course I am preparing. So um, I think that the, my idea or this discourse would be present a Job and 
its genres, uh, some oriental tale, a wisdom fable, the poems, speeches, the confession or, or even lamentation. Also the, the visions and revelations we can find in, in Job, how and when was the, the book formed, that why it's so difficult the text to understand, and also these other versions, the, the Greek, the Latin one, and also the one found in Qumran. I love it. I can't wait. And it sounds, Carlos, like you actually need to do Job part one, part two, and part three. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, there's I think going to be so many interesting bits and pieces and Job is such a big book. And so even just the introduction that you just talked about, even just comparing the genre and the subject matter and the translations, that's fascinating. Yeah. And you haven't even gotten into the content yet. Yeah. I have left the content yet. Uh, it's, it's not, uh, it's in my, in my ideas about the developing the course, but yes, uh, how the book can be perceived and all the, the reception, I think that this can be uh, just one course and then the content can be uh, a future course because the, the book is uh, so rich and there's so material to, to debut on it. Uh, it's It can be a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I'm excited for that course. I can't wait for it to come out. I love, again, being a part of the faculty, I love watching everyone else's courses. It's they're just so fascinating, and I'm excited to see what you bring to the table. Thank you so much, Cindy. And I'm also so so happy to to join IBC to be one uh, part of this uh, great uh, staff, this faculty staff. And I will provide as much as uh, I can do with uh, all my um, uh, my knowledge about this. These uh, these books. Uh, also, I will provide uh, all the following week some articles of precisely on, on job for our readers to our uh, students in order to make them know a bit more about the the book. Great. So, as people are waiting for your course to come out, they can read the articles that you're writing yes. and attend the seminars that you are participating in and get a little bit of a teaser of what's coming <laughs> out in your course later. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for coming on the podcast and welcome pleasure, to the IBC team. Yes, the pleasure is mine. And so much honor. A couple times in our conversation, we talked about the upcoming seminar that Dr. Santos is going to participate in. Are you aware that IBC does a free seminar every month? We gather some of our faculty members together and we just talk about these really fascinating subjects, all bringing our diverse perspectives to the table. If you have not heard of these seminars or have not participated, you can simply click on the link in the episode notes. It'll take you to IBC's website and you can sign up to get the email notifications. Or you can follow IBC on Facebook or Twitter. We always post what the upcoming seminars are all about. If you like these kinds of conversations, join us at the Israel Bible Center, where you will have access to a huge range of courses that dig into the details of culture and interpretation of the Bible. You can even earn credit towards Israel Bible Center certificate program in Jewish context and culture. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music for doing an amazing job editing, mixing, and adding in all the good music. And thank you for hanging out with me and being curious about all things Bible-related. 